understand. I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears. And the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. someplace? Do you mean an institution? Madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound uncaring. I... What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears and the cruel eyes studying you? My mother in there? She's harmless. She's as harmless as one of these stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt I... I it, you felt it what? It seemed that she was... She's hurting you. I, I meant well. People always mean well. They collect their thick tongues, and they shake their heads, and they suggest, oh, so very delicately, episode of Split the Difference. I'm your host, Jesse, and I'm here today uh, with Seth. Hello. And Nick. 
Hey, how's it going? Oh, it sounds like we're all doing really well today. Uh, <laughs> we are here to discuss... Uh, we were supposed to have another guest on today, but he is unfortunately unavailable. Um, so it's just going to be the three of us. And Erin is taking the day off today because she's drowning in work right now. So, so it's just going to be the three of us. Today we are talking about uh, one that we've discussed very, very much on doing because it's an interesting one to discuss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We are discussing Psycho, the original 1960s Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, versus the 1998 remake of Psycho, directed by Gus Van Sant. And the reason we want hmm. to discuss this one is because the remake is a carbon copy of the original film. Literally yeah. shot for mm -hmm. shot, carbon copy of the original film. And I feel like these three episodes we've done back-to-back, -back, uh, Dread, uh, RoboCop, and uh, Psycho, give us the three different types of remakes you can do. Dread is a readaptation. RoboCop is a uh, reinterpretation of, this, of the material. And then you have this one, which is a carbon copy of the original film with modern update. So yeah. this is an interesting one to discuss. It's, uh, it's an odd one. Uh, you could say because it's, you, people feel like, oh, I've seen the original. Do I have to watch the remake if it's the same thing? It's amazing how just those slight changes make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like yeah, you, you could almost make an entire class on why aspects of filmmaking are important mm -hmm. and the visual of like side by side this and the, and the remake of, I mean, we, we tore into it on the rewatch oh, yeah. uh, watching the sequel. Like there's big reasons why the original film was shot the way that it was and shooting it for a late nineties audience, the way that they did a lot gets lost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. A lot gets lost. Yeah. Um, the original film came out in 1960 and Alfred Hitchcock at that point had already done many films in color at that point. The original film is shot in black and white. And so he'd done, prior to that, he'd done Rear Window, North by Northwest, Vertigo, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Like, he had done many films that were in color, but he went back to black and white for Psycho. Because he knew that the material, which is based on a novel by Robert Block, which is inspired by the life of renowned serial killer Ed Gain, he knew that it would work better in a black and white format. So... It's an interesting comparison with the remake. So let's start with the uh, the original film. Uh, Seth, you had seen the original, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, Hitchcock is when I when I first was told that hey, you you love films, you need to watch Hitchcock. Psycho was like one of my first dives into. Let me look at films because uh, this is apparently like one of the best films ever made. And yeah, so I, I've I've seen the original I think two or three times at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, this is universally hailed as a classic. It's hailed as a uh, dynamic film. It's it, Techniques from this film are still used today. It's, it was kind of oh, the yeah. inspiration for the the slasher genre. I mean, like Friday the 13th, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Halloween, they all owe a debt to Psycho. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Like, it, the, it's the origin of the slasher genre, basically. So uh, what about you, Nick? Have you, did you see this before we watched it? Oh, yeah. I saw it in high school in the film studies class. And it it's, it's like what you said. It was very 
like again like just going by what I knew about it from pop culture uh turns out not that much I just really I just remember people being well these are a bunch of millennials in class so they were pretending either pretending or not to be shocked when uh Christ what was her name what was her name Marion Crane I can't I was trying to remember the actress name uh is it Janet Sophia Lee? Miles? Is it Janet Lee? Or Vi- Janet- yeah, just the shock of remembering how, like, she's our main protagonist, and then you pull the rug out like that, and she's dead halfway through the movie. So now, what's the movie about? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. the The twist of killing off your main character, like, thirty to forty minutes into the movie, <laughs> like it broke uh, the rules. <laughs> yeah, it broke the rules. Yeah, it, it really broke the rules. It was um. It's a shock to the audience. The film is very well known for having a lot of taboo subject matter within the film. And that was usually something that Hitchcock would do just to fuck with his audience. Oh, yeah. He would do that a lot. Like, if you look at his film, um, uh, Shadow of a Doubt, there is uh, there's implications between the main characters in that film that are an uncle and a niece. There's implications of incest. Mm. Yeah. And, and, he, yeah. And, and Hitchcock specifically did that just to fuck with the audience and fuck with the censor boards because he loved getting off on that. Mm. He, he loved Hitch- messing with people. Because it was Hitchcock uh, walked mm-hmm. Sorry. No, go I ahead. Say, go ahead. Hitchcock, I was gonna say Hitchcock walked so Roman Polanski's Chinatown could run? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean he he didn't like working with a lot of studios because he only worked with them because they had the money. He would if he could have made everything on his own, he would have like there's stories of, I think, on uh, Rear Window, whenever executives from the studio would come by to watch filming, um, th- uh, magically on set, the film camera would suddenly break down, and they would stop filming. And so he had his <laughs> filming, he had his camera guys walk over to the camera and pretend to be fixing it, and, and, and they were like, why isn't anything filming? And Hitchcock would be like, oh, sorry, cameras are down right now. Until eventually yeah. all the executives got bored and left, and then suddenly the cameras would suddenly start working again. Wild. <laughs> yeah, he would do that just to fuck with them because they knew if they were on set watching him film and his and his uh, filming techniques and how he worked, they would get in his way. Yeah, you can't do that now. Their executive executives are either always on set or there's somebody that's a liaison from the studio always watching you. Yeah. Do you were dailies a thing back then, or is that a, a more uh, recent development? Dailies, dailies weren't a thing because to, to process the film would take so long. That you right. couldn't really be in, you couldn't head to the editing bay to watch it as quickly as you know as it could be, could be printed. So, what you what you shot was what you got. So you had to basically shoot the whole movie, be confident you got it, and then try to fix it or assemble it in editing if there was a problem. Right. I don't think dailies became a thing until the late seventies, I believe. Interesting. Yeah. yeah this uh, what an experience. <laughs> even even like watching it with a with a modern mindset this it the original I'll uh, let me specify the original yeah. really holds up just yeah I, I think I think almost all of Hitchcock's films do though like there's there's something to be said about yeah. you know a, a director with that kind of vision a vision so specific that he doesn't want any producers fucking around with it um and it makes these kinds of things even even now like the knowing what the twist is it, the the twist has informed so many 
things that happen now. Like look at Hereditary, look at Midsummer, like the those kinds of films that are very Hitchcockian. Um, they they land with great you know uh, gravitas, but Psycho still lands right with them. Like it's it's like watching an old boxer jump in the ring and still be able to knock the shit out of people. It's like yeah, it's still got it. Yeah, I mean, look at Hereditary with the uh, the marketing of that film revolves around the little girl. Like twenty minutes in the movie, she gets her, you know, she gets killed. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a, it's a psycho switch. Like it changes the main character. Yeah, yeah it's the same twist. Yeah, so yeah, the original still holds up. It's still got great stuff to it. I mean, I would say that maybe the score is a little irritating because it's constantly used. Yeah, I would have preferred a slightly more subtle film sometimes, but that's more of just like that's a product of the era, product of the time. Right. Yeah. If it was today, it would be a little bit more subtle. It'd be much more like uh, the Suspiria remake, how they kind of toned it down, made it more muted. Sure. Yeah. Be more like that. We'll get to the Suspiria at some point. Oh yeah. Well, we, yeah. Well, we saw what it lo- would look like today, circa nineteen ninety, whatever. Nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh. That leads us into discussion of the remake. Uh, I think we all agree the the, re- the original is a is a classic. It's a must see. You have to see it. It's kind of required viewing for any filmmaker out there. It's required viewing for just any audience member. Honestly, it's like I mean, Janet Lee was even Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. like that leads into like how she ended up in the slasher genre with Halloween. It's like there is like sort of like Hereditary. There is a connective tissue there. Like there's a character like. Anne Heche's, Anne Heche, uh, Janet Lee's boyfriend is named Sam Loomis, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, in the movie. Mm-hmm. There you go. So maybe this is set in the same world as Halloween. <laughs> I could, I could honestly see that. I, I would not, uh, especially thinking about the the sequels to Psycho. A lot of them feel like the Halloween movies a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen like Psycho three or four. I've seen um, two. I haven't seen any other ones. Well, they got Anthony Perkins to come back in, for sure, four. I think three as well, though, um, as Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely not classics, but they're, they are they keep that same DNA running through it that they feel like like old slasher movies in, mm-hmm. in a good way. Like, they're, they're a fun watch. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them great, but they're definitely a fun watch if you're into Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the slasher genre. Because he, he comes back in a like kind of fourth dimensional self-aware way and i think anthony perkins directed one of them too if i'm not mistaken i think he directed the third one i think yeah. that sounds right yeah so they're better than the jaws sequels got it oh yeah oh god yeah <laughs> like like jaws it's like what do you do with jaws like another shark shows up okay <laughs> yeah although i do have a slight i do have a slight liking for jaws too <laughs> i i don't yeah i don't hate jaws too i think 3D and 4s, where, yeah, where they just turned into <laughs> schlock. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. So that leads uh, us before, into... What was that? I was going to say, before fully jumping into what they did do with the remake, I have to ask, would they have just been better off re-releasing the classic, but having colorized it? Ooh. Ah. I mean... Because uh, colorization is pretty bad on its own. <laughs> like if you ever I mean, tried watching that... colorize... There is that colorized Sorry. version of Night of the Living Dead. Which I didn't hate it. It's it's got some nice stuff in it. It's it's just that's not how it was meant to be seen. Yeah. It's just not. I mean, there's like shooting things for grayscale is different than shooting it for color. 
And yeah, let's th- talk about that for a minute because that yeah, that came that, up that a leads lot. Us, that leads us into this, the 1998 remake, which is directed by Gus Van Sant, who just prior to doing the 1998 film had directed Goodwill Hunting. I believe he had. I believe that uh, that film had gotten a lot of prestige. It had made a lot of money. Yep. He had yep. some clout with the studio, and the reason he directed the remake was he said, and I quote, "So nobody else would." So, which sounds ominous. That sounds ominous. It just feels kind of like self-indulgence, kind of overzealous, a bit egotistical. It's like I, I know you say you want to have a defense of the of the original, but like we've seen original films get remade by other filmmakers, and they've turned out just as good, if not better. Mm. And we'll get some of some of those later on in later episodes, but. It just feels like to just copy the original and do nothing new. Like when when we say it's a shot for shot remake, we're not kidding. It is literally shot for shot. It is there's there's slight additions here and there, slight changes, m- updating it for a modern era. Like basically, what they did was they added a lot of sex and a lot of gore. Yeah, and that's it. Like the the sequence where in the original where Anthony Perkins has the peephole looking into. Um, Janet Lee's uh, motel room. He just kind of watches her like creepily in the remake, which has Vince Vaughn in the role of Norman Bates, who is <laughs> horribly miscast. In that scene, he takes on his pants and he starts jerking off. I'm not very sure. quickly without cleaning up. Yeah, I'm not sure why they added that. Like, what? It, it feels like it's an incredibly bad taste to me. Yeah, well, how, how else would we know he's a creep by modern day standards? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe finding out later on that there's been an incestuous relationship with his dead mother. Like, it's possible that that could be a thing. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, the, the disgusting nastiness was already there in the original. It was just hidden in the background. Like, your imagination right. does all the work. Like, it's with- it's greatly implied there is an incestuous relationship between Norman Bates and his mother. Right, it's there. It's in the original, but then you look at the at the remake, and then they and it goes all in on. Oh no, he's a creepy sex pervert. Yeah, it, it's just it, it's inc- it's an incredibly bad taste, you know. And yeah, Vin, yeah. Vince Vaughn has three modes in this movie. Yeah, obvious obvious serial killer, gay man trying to hit on everybody, <laughs> and shy boy who just was made big by Zoltar, and he does. <laughs> He does two of those surprisingly well, but the one that counts, he doesn't. Yeah. 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 It's it and it's like it's hard it's hard for me to watch th- knowing that he can be a good dramatic actor. Like we were talking about um uh dragged across across concrete and uh brawl in cell and br- cell 90 cell block 99. Cell block 99. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh He's fantastic in those. He's a great dramatic actor. He's a terrible person, but he's a good actor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So then watching him in this, I'm going, I know what you're capable of, but you're delivering this. It almost feels like a, like parody performance. Yeah. What are those, um, what are those Jason Freeberg, Aaron Seltzer movies? (laughs) The scary movie movie, writers. Date movie. Yeah. Yeah, It feels like it it got pulled out of one of those films. It feels like it fits more with those movies than it does with uh, with an actual Psycho film. Yeah, he's horribly Ir- miscast. And ironically, it kind of felt like this remake would have been made better if they amped up the comedy aspect of it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I had made the yeah. note, I had made the note that uh, a good comparison to another film that got remade was uh, Maniac. The original the original was shot like a standard you know kind of slasher horror film, but the remake starring Elijah Wood is shot all from a first person perspective. You see directly through the eyes of Elijah Wood as he's murdering people. Right. Yeah, like if you're going to try to do a remake of Psycho, you don't have to do like everything. You can try something different, you know, see it from a different perspective, see it from a different character's point of view. Right. Yeah, try that. Like there's a there's a book uh, there's a film I really like called Prospero's Books. I watched this in film class back when I was going to Anne Arundel Community College. And it's basically the story of the Tempest but all from Prospero's perspective. You don't see any of the other characters too much. It's it's shot like a play, but it looks amazing. It's amazing. Like there's a ten minute uh, dolly track sequence, and it yeah. just, it just doesn't cut. It's amazingly shot. It's it's definitely not for everybody. <laughs> it's in fact it's barely for anybody. But <laughs> I am the target audience for a film like that. But that film like there's there's you know there's this uh, narrative that's flowing in the background of the Tempest that's from Prospero's story. Uh, point of view and that's what the film focuses on it's just on prospero the whole time yeah like why not try that like instead of just copying the original and there's there's a very specific reason why frame for frame remakes are not popular like i'm I'm looking at a list of them right now yeah and you know we and we may even get into it the lion king John yeah. Favreau's version yeah. versus the animated version. There's a reason that the animated version works so well. You can animate, you know, facial expressions and, you know, cartoonize things that don't work in real life. Or yeah. uh, also, and, and, and also there's good, there are good versions, but uh, it kind of falls into the director having their own, you know, vision. You mentioned it while we were watching it. Funny Games, yeah. same director, both movies. Yeah, that was, a, that, was, that was a prime example of a director did it specifically for the money. Right. Because he knew that American audiences, or just English-speaking audiences, didn't want to go see a film with subtitles. So he just right. made the same movie with different actors in order to capitalize upon another market. It's literally or, the same movie. Yeah. Um, another one that I, I didn't even think of until today, um, In Order of Disappearance and Cold Pursuit. Same director redoing his script. Right. Uh, one was um, ne- Netherlands or Danish. I, c- I can't remember. I think which. it was Danish. Yeah. Yeah, I think Danish. Um, with uh, one of the Scars Guards in the lead, and then um, the the remake with Liam Neeson, and the changes were he really just Americanized the film. He added more yeah. comedy. He made the violence more intense. Um, like he he just. He went exactly the same thing. Yep. Like I can, I can double my profits because this movie works for an American audience if you adapt these things. And he, and he even like references his previous movie with the stuff that he does in a comedic way. That's like, hey, if you saw the original and you liked it, um, I'm gonna wink at that real quick. And so that adds to the experience. Whereas Gus Van Sant's Psycho. Yeah. On the other hand, really feels like an experiment for experiment's sake without thought. Yeah, I, I I made the note when we were doing our watch party. I was just like, I kept getting the feeling as I was watching it. I was like, is Gus Van Sant fucking with the studio? Because that's what this feels like. <laughs> because I, I made the note of how much the film cost. That budget for that remake was $60 million. Where'd the money go? 
Right. Where like did, did it all go to Vince Vaughn's cocaine budget? Like wh- where how do you spend 60 million dollars on a film like that and it looks that cheap? Well, went Where'd to William H. Go? Macy's cocaine budget. <laughs> and Viggo Mortensen's tramp stamp. None of those actors cost that much at that time. No. 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 Like there's no way. There's like I'm just I'm like I'm shocked. I'm like where'd the money go? Yeah, it it really it, it almost feels like those um uh, like money laundering films, um, where yeah. you know, like, like the the actual budget for the films like a million bucks, and then they launder like another fifteen million in the background just to like, you know, have the money out there. It, it really mm. feels like that because there's nothing b- besides I think maybe one or two helicopter shots. There's yeah. nothing in this film that I couldn't reproduce with an iPhone. Ooh, yeah, Golan Golan Globus's Psycho remake. Now that'd be something. Oh god. <laughs> Well, because they did launder money through their films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, that brings up uh, something I want to discuss, and we were about to get into it until we got sidetracked. The color of uh, the 1998 film. So the original is shot in black and white, grayscale, very high contrast, uh, specifically because that's the tone. And this came out yeah. in the 1960s. The original was released in 1960. By that point, color in film was very common. Yeah. It was oh, yeah. it was very common to see films in theaters that had color. Hitchcock had done many films prior to that with color, but Psycho he felt needed to be shot in black and white. It also got the budget down a little bit because shooting in color is more expensive than shooting in black and white. Yeah. Because of the printing. So shooting for black and white, it fit the tone a lot better. It fit the style much more. It was appropriate for that. And it's and it's in the history of film, all the best cinematographers have worked in black and white at one point or another because it's such an efficient method to work with. Like, all you have to do is just use lighting to highlight what you need because it's, you can put unmotivated light sources wherever you want. Like, you can, ha- like, there's that shot w- that we mentioned when uh, Sam Loomis goes into the, the Bates house. And he's going up the stairs. Like there's a shot, the, the light that's coming across the hallway. It's an unmotivated light source in the black and white <laughs> version. But in the colorized version, you're constantly wondering where's that light coming from because it's right. just a, it's just a blast of light. On, it's so harsh. It is yeah, so harsh. Yeah, the lighting is so harsh. It's a blast of light on William H Macy's face, who replaces the Sam Loomis actor. And I'm right. just thinking to myself, where's that light coming from? There's can. We, Again, if this were the comedy version, he'd just pan <laughs> over to the side. It'd just be a stagehand being like, sorry, and gets it out of his face. <laughs> he starts dimming it Let, down with a flag. It, can, we, can we bring up... Julianne Moore is a... Julianne Moore, right? Yeah, it's Julianne Moore. Yeah, 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 yeah Julianne Moore. I'm, I'm looking at the name, and I'm doubting myself. She is a goddess, and somehow the scene where she's in the bathroom with Viggo Mortensen... Oh, God. <laughs> makes her look like a just a ghoul. Like yeah, why, vampire. Why was that scene shot like that? Like, buddy, the just lighting, drop your ISO the, a little. Yeah, the lighting in this film is so harsh. Like the the lighting in the bathroom where uh, Anne Hayes, who re- who replaces Janet Leigh, right. when she is killed and her body is thrown into the swamp, when Julianne Moore and Viggo Mortensen show up to investigate the room where she was killed, the lighting in the bathroom is so high contrast and is so bright and so harsh that Julianne Moore has very, very pale skin. (laughs) 
She, she looks transparent. She looks either transparent or like a fucking vampire. Yeah. She doesn't look human. It's it's like, and then you cut to the outside the bathroom, and you can't even see any texture on the wall in the bathroom. It's just white. Like where yeah. there, there's no detail anywhere. And, well, and, and hey, she looked like an alien while she was driving the car, so maybe oh, it just yeah. runs in the family of their characters. Well, well I and, think she is an alien, so I think that makes sense. <laughs> so, uh. and uh, like, I also want to point out that it, this is this feels like a filming mistake. This is not on purpose. Like the end yeah. of the lighthouse when Robert Pattinson's getting blasted by the light of the lighthouse. Yes. That's high contrast for the effect. Yeah, the bathroom scene is high contrast. And just looks bad. Like yeah, there's, somebody, there's not an effect happening there. There's too many. There's too many. There's too uh, too many stoppers stops on the camera. <laughs> Something like yeah, that. There's yeah. some, somebody screwed up. Somebody in the uh, cinematography department made a mistake. Yeah. Or maybe I, that's what Gus Van Sant wanted. It's highly. Inten- it, it's intended. I mean, uh, there's no way they couldn't have just shot that quickly and gotten it right. Yeah. I, if he did it on purpose, God, why? Yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. Yeah, I I, I want to get into the performances, but f- before that, I, I'm i very I, confused. I want, to stick with the, I want to stick with the coloring a little bit, yeah, because there's oh, a yeah, lot yeah. to discuss. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to go into before the performances, was why shoot this in color if it's going to be so bland? Yeah. There's, like, no, like, interesting or dynamic lighting schemes at all. Like, the way it's the way the lighting is designed in the original was particular for those shots in the original, which is black and white. When you're shooting for color, things need to be photographed differently because the way in which the coloring of the set reflects the light into the camera will affect what draws your attention. Yeah. Like there's that scene where there's that one, uh, uh, crane shot that goes up the stairs and it flips over and spins around and looks down the stairs when Norman Bates is carrying his dead mother down the stairwell. Obviously, right. you don't know that she's dead at that point. But that shot in the original is impressive because, first off, it, it that kind of thing was never seen that much prior to that. Maybe like yeah. touch of maybe like touch of evil. There's that crane shot in the original film. Uh, when did Citizen Kane come out? That that one had a few. Oh, that was 43? long. Forty-three. That was yeah. That was long before that. It was like in the thirties. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. it was like forty-three. It, it was. It was. No, you're right. It was forties. Yeah, it was right. It was forties. Yeah, it was just. It was very rare to do those kinds of moves. Yeah, but by the nineteen ninety-eight, that thing had become kind of old hat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's already outdated in that respect. So doing it like that with lighting that doesn't fit the scene. And just those bland, ugly walls and the, the the nasty color on the carpet. It's just like, it's so visually unappealing. You know? It's just, bleh. Yeah. That's, the scene that's, where... Yeah, go ahead. Or the scene where Norman and uh, Anne Heche are like ha- talking and there's the... She's harmless as one of those stuffed birds. It oh. just looks entirely <laughs> brown. Oh, yeah, the birds. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, in the original film, like, all those highlights and shadows that are on the walls from those stuffed birds, they're kind of haunting and creepy. They're, like, surrounding Anne Heche's character. Like, she's the next prey that he's coming after. But then you look at it in the remake, and it's just brown. Everything (laughs) is just brown. It's brown, 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 brown. It's it's very, very, like, blech. Yeah, even the colors that should pop don't. And, like, yeah. we, we brought up Suspiria a little bit ago. 
the original's very colorful, so the remake, yeah. they they went against that. Yeah, it was one of the last films that was shot in three-piece Technicolor, so the color really pops. Right. So why, in God's name, would you colorize a movie only to just make it brown? <laughs> like <laughs> You colorize like, it to make it pop. You don't colorize yeah. it to make it look bland. Like, like, give me the high contrast, super colorful, like, like, the 90s were a very colorful time, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, this they, was the time when, like, MTV was popular. Like, exactly. Like, that kind of style had, had, had penetrated to the mass audiences. Like, they wanted stuff like that. Like, yeah. MTV, you know, col- uh, you know, c- uh, cartoons were, like, outrageous on television. Like, yeah. you know, there was all kinds of insane stuff that was popular in the, in the market. It was, like, it was all the rage. And then you see this film, and it's, like, so just bland and dull well this movie also came out before pleasantville they didn't know how to mix black and white and color yet in film <laughs> that's just not true <laughs> you could do that you could do that uh i just if wizard it, of oz could do it you know 50 years earlier they could do it here right <laughs> I, I if i just i'm not saying vince vaughn needs to be wearing like hammer pants or teal and purple but god damn give yeah. me some like contrast in your colorized movie is is it possible that that gus van sant was intentionally trying to make a film that was terrible so I, that way I'm, people would intentionally go back and watch the original if if he that's the best case scenario yeah, yeah. If, if 20 years later he came out and said that i would respect the film i think i genuinely would be like bad on purpose that's kind of slick but the fact that he hasn't said that and he's coy about it makes me think that he fucked up and knows he did and wants to play it off kind of like tommy was so with his yeah. like no it I, was a comedy on purpose yeah it's bullshit still no. still I'm, i am kind of curious to see if he would get that uh, get a be get the chance to do another shot for shot remake like <laughs> i kind of want to see gus van sans point break <laughs> they already remade that. Oh fuck! Are we gonna have to do that on the show someday? And Red Dawn. We'll see how we do in season four of Film Rescue. How how generous I'm feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah we, we we said during our watch party that if this was gonna be remade now, we'd want Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of his oh, yeah. high contrast color schemes with like Neon Demon and Only God Forgives yes. and Drive, like his, his because he is colorblind. So he has to up the ante on all the color to make it pop for him. I feel that on a very personal level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so coloring aside, uh, let, let, let's dive into the, the like five positives for a second. Yeah. Um, of the original or the remake? The, the remake. Uh, the original, I, I could probably talk for a while about the positives on that. Uh, and we and should probably few things to complain about in that film. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's how we end this episode. But for now, um, I liked that they upped the money for night. You know, for the time uh, forty. I'm not sure where the money went to, but okay. Yeah. Uh, no. No. I mean, upped the amount of money that. Oh, oh how they stole. carry through, and yeah, it's, it's like forty thousand dollars in the original, and they upped it to four hundred thousand dollars. Like, yeah, inflation was a thing. Exactly. So. <laughs> And and it does up the stakes, like almost half a million dollars. I mean, not that her performance is showing us that the stakes are upped, but mentally it does some stuff for me that I'm okay with. So that's yeah. I'll I'll start the positives with that one. Okay, fair enough. 
Um, my positive, uh, I like the fact that Rita Wilson was in the remake because she's really good, even though she's only in for like five minutes. It's Tom Hanks' wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's just like, I like seeing her and stuff. She doesn't do much anymore, unfortunately. I think Did Tom she... Hanks is doing everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's still doing good work. Uh, yeah. Fucking Greyhound. Oh, what a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Someday I'll put that on Palette Cleanser. It's, yeah. like, it's on like the worst streaming service of all time, Apple Plus, which no one watches. Right. Yeah. Someday we'll do it. Just be like, hey, guys, go watch this, please. It's really good. Exactly. Yeah, this, is, uh, this is kind of a roundabout positive, but the after murdering Anne Heche, uh Vince Vaughn just switches into an outfit which can only be described as a precursor to M. Night Shyamalan's split, where he wears jeans and a very <laughs> and tight a sweater neck. combo. Tur- <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. am convinced I'm convinced Shyamalan watched this and is like, I'm going to take this aspect and make it into one of my good movies. <laughs> didn't, didn't somebody make the comment that that's actually a hint that he's actually uncircumcised? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was me. Uh. Okay, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I I agree with that take. I I I like that a little. Yeah. Um, I I'm not gonna lie. the The addition of the gore, like the the slash marks in her back when she falls over, I don't I don't think that it, it wasn't so over the top that I hated it, and it felt like the I wish it had been there in the original a little bit. Well, getting that onto film in the 1960s was near impossible. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, so I, that's really the thing. I is. It, Even it like feels the like blood. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a flex of where filmmaking had been able to go since then. So I kind yeah. of respected it for that. Like it's been, like it's been so long since I've seen the, like I know this isn't a positive, but it's been so long since I've seen the original that I just the part where William H Macy is superimposed over the background <laughs> and is slashed oh, at. It's like, oh yeah, was this an added scene? I don't remember no, this in the original. No, the, Sam Loomis falling down the stairs is in the original, but they added in two separate random shots for some reason. It's like a woman in bondage gear in one yeah. shot. And then there's another one of like a cow in a in the middle of a street or something like that. What was that? It's like a mistake in the edit. It it feels like it feels like the Tyler Durden inserting porn into the movie for one frame. Yeah, like it, it feels like a practical joke. It feels like Gus Van Sant fucking with the audience. That's what it, it's what it totally feels like. It, this this does not have any purpose here. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. it has no purpose. It, it doesn't even mean anything on a subtextual level. It's just there to fuck with the audience. It's like that's what I'm saying. I really think this was him just fucking with the audience on the studio's dime. I really believe that. I mean, I, we can't confirm it, but yeah. I really think that's what it is. I want it to be true because it yeah. would really improve my viewing experience. Because it would go. Then you can watch the film ironically. Exactly. Yeah. It would. It would go from I'm having a really bad time and not enjoying myself to I'm having fun at the cost of a production studio from the '90s, and I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, it, showing like it, what a filmmaker can get away with. Yeah, it, it feels like sticking it to the man, watching it that way. I mean, th- that's how that's how I watch movies like The Happening. I just when I turn it on, I turn it on going, "This is a comedy," and and 
just laugh my ass off and have a good time. Because if I watch it any other way, it makes me hurt inside. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a comment on the watch party where it's like, Vince Vaughn is having very happening vibes right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He does feel like Mark Wahlberg's character from that film. <laughs> like when he's trying to play unconfident and he can't sell unconfident. Yeah, he's he can't just do too it. much of a bro. Dude, yeah. you're like 6'5 and super rich and in like really great shape at that time. What 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 are you nervous about? Like I don't yeah. believe this at all. Yeah, we made the comment that, you know, Anthony Perkins in the original is perfectly cast. He's got like, he's got like the hunch, he, you know, he like he slouches his shoulders. He he's got the the physicality to pull it off whereas Vince Vaughn's like chest out shoulders down like he's just he looks he looks like he's, he's feeling tall. himself he's yeah tall. He, he towers over everybody like Viggo Mortensen is not a very tall man in the no. original ver- in the original film Sam Loomis and Anthony Perkins you know they're the same height but in the remake Vince Vaughn like towers over Viggo Mortensen oh, he's like almost a foot taller yeah I know it's like you can't really make a guy seem like he's unimposing and and kind of nebbish if he's like over six feet i do have one one positive from vince vaughn the way that that man decided to run in this movie is (laughs) glorious it is just i I thought it was so silly at first and then by the end of the movie i was like i i love this acting choice it is perfect I guess he's supposed to be running like an old lady. I guess that's what he was trying to do. It, it, it just the, him flapping his arms around. It it feels it feels like um, when you're when you're in like a like a amateur theater class and people are improving and just having a really good time with it. It's so over the top that I'm just I I forgive it. It's uh, it's fine. <laughs> since okay. since this movie was made in the '90s, I kind of want to see a Paul Walker type as Norman Bates because he kind of looks like he can do that insecurity type of yeah, role that this that. movie needs. Toby yeah. Maguire was brought up while we were watching and I think that oh, was yeah, the I one that stuck with me the most. It would have been great. Yeah. yeah. We even and we said if uh, we were casting this today we would have we said Dan Stevens from Legion. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he was also in The Guest. Like that The Guest also is inspired a lot by Psycho. Like, oh yeah. The twist where like halfway through the film he turns into the bad guy. Like it's yeah. it's a shocker. Like that kind of thing where it's like you know, so you need somebody that's like unimposing kind of seems like they're a sweet person but they're hiding something exactly you need that kind of person vince vaughn is is a, a uber right-wing conservative you, you he looks like an asshole <laughs> <laughs> he's like, too it's hard goofy. to sell it's hard to sell good guy when you know you know the background of your your act right <laughs> I so. like it, it. It says a lot that at different times during the film, I was expecting him to like chew gum and smack it in his mouth. You know what I mean? Just like that kind of like, yeah, yeah. I'm this this guy. Like that's just what he looks like to me. So anytime mm. he's smiling, I'm like, I don't enjoy this. You're not scary. Yeah, it's like it's like in uh, most films when like an actor is like eating an apple. It's like it's it immediately you just go, oh yeah, asshole. Yeah, it's like you just get it. <laughs> The only time I've seen Vince Vaughn play a good guy okay is Dodgeball, a, a true underdog story or something. See, Where he's like, kind of an eh. asshole in that movie too, though. Yeah, but he, but, yeah, he's kind but of Ben Stiller's a bigger ass. Yeah, Ben Stiller's a bigger asshole, so you don't mind as much. You know, eh. Ben Stiller's Psycho, I'm, 
I'm not gonna lie. I might enjoy that, like exactly the Gus Van Sant thing, but switch out Ben Stiller for Vince uh, Vince Vaughn for Ben Stiller. I think that's genuinely an upgrade. What about <laughs> Owen Wilson's Psycho? Now nah, he again, yeah. you're back no. to too, too goofy. Yeah, you're too goofy. Too too, too super. Oh, she's too, harmless. Too much like a surfer dude. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. <laughs> Uh, if you're doing the comedy version, I'm in. Yeah, comedy version works there, but not so much yeah. on uh, not with this. Um, man, this was also the first time I saw the Psycho remake. Was watching yeah. it with y'all, so mm-hmm. it was it was kind of weird knowing what all the scenes were gonna be, and also talking to like six people while watching this. So it a lot of the dialogue got lost on me. And the but it deliver- doesn't matter because it's the same script. Well, yeah, and and this is this is the performance part that I wanted to get into. Anne Heche did not have an acting director on this movie because no. I don't think I've seen so little change in a face in a film before, and half of acting happens in the face. Yeah, S- say what you will about Vince Vaughn, he makes some good faces in this. Anne Heche, the scene where she's like getting away with the with the uh, heist, her face, like, literally changes from blank to small smirk. Yeah. And it's That's not it. it's not a subtle change. It's a very obvious change, but the, the change is so small that it feels like underacting, and that's how I would describe her performance. Julianne Moore's bringing, like, guns out to this movie in the second mm. half. She's probably and, the best best actor in the film, which is weird because like Viggo Mortensen would sign up to do Lord of the Rings like a year later, right? Or yeah. Yeah, and and William H Macy is like he's playing a Coen Brothers character from a different movie. It feels like he like stumbled onto the set accidentally. Yeah, I'd say Robert Forrester also does a good job, but he's pretty much a cameo at yeah. the end. Yeah, recipe is Robert Forrester. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's like it, it just feels like. Julian Moore was the only one that was, like, really trying. Everybody else was, like, given almost no direction. And I, I feel like there's, um... You guys have seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, of course. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know the scene where they're doing that, that parody of what Goodwill Hunting 2 would be? <laughs> where Gus Van Sant is in the background and he's not giving anybody any direction? Yeah. He's just that's counting his I, money. That's what I feel this is. I feel like... That's the addendum to this film. Gus Van Sant counting his money, not giving anybody any direction. Ben, what? I said I'm busy. Now that you're saying that, I exclusively want to see a behind-the-scenes documentary about this film where that's happening unironically. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like, where does all the money go? Like, the movie was shot in the same way with the same same locations, like, with the exception of the house. Yeah, like and that's another 60... thing. Like they, they, you call it psycho, yet you don't use the psycho house. Why? Yeah. Like what? Okay. Even everyone else was was bringing up the the set dressings when when um when Julianne Moore walks into the mother's bedroom, it's blank. It's like it's there. the bare minimum of objects in the room to make it a believable room but it's so like sanitized and like mm-hmm. it empty compared yeah. to the it just original. looks like i think jd martin said it but it just looks like grandma's bedroom yeah mm-hmm. it no it it more specifically looks like the bedroom you prepare for grandma when she's going to come to your house 
Like yeah, it's the it's the guest bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It is like it is. It's meant to never be touched. No one hangs out in there. The door hasn't been opened in six months. It's that room. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's just. It just feels like there was so little effort. And you know, I mean, I, 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 I think the reason why some people defend this is because they see it as an oddity, like the fact that they there are people that think that maybe they just did this just to fuck with the studio. We can't confirm that, but I think right. that might be the reason why people defend this, like getting a, away with this. In a vacuum, the idea of a shot-for-shot shot remake of one of the most influential horror films of all time with a, a redressed cast of people that were like really coming into their prime in the 90s, the, the idea I don't hate the execution, it feels like they didn't sit down and go, okay, why was this in black and white? Should we do it in black and white? Clerks came out just around this time. Black and white films, uh, excuse me, would still work at this point. Like, there's no there's no reason why they wouldn't. So then if the decision is, no, let's do color, the next thing feels like it should have been, okay, how do we make color important to the film this time? The, it, like it, it feels like the movie wasn't deconstructed before they decided to remake it, and so all the mistakes come out at the end where it's like, yeah, if you'd have thought about it for a minute, the very colorful version of this might have been better because then you can play into the change that you made. The changes feel arbitrary. They feel yeah. they feel bland. They feel not thought out. There's there's really no changes in this besides like the the masturbation scene that feels like it, it is really them pushing the the envelope for the time that they're remaking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just feels like adding in gratuitous stuff because that's what the modern audience wants. Like, I don't want to yeah. watch Vince Vaughn jerk off. Like, I don't want to see that. Unless it's a comedy, in which it would make sense. <laughs> Unless it's a comedy, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, because, I mean, like, I think a year before this, wasn't it something about Mary had just come out and you see Ben Stiller jerking off in that scene? Yep. <laughs> that's played for laughs. Yeah, exactly. It's played for laughs. Like Cameron you, Diaz puts it in her hair, thinks it's a joke. Yeah, that's what's funny about it, that it's it's a joke. Like, you don't put that into this because you're meant, you're trying to make this a, a terrifying film, but that just makes you feel kind of gross and nasty. You know? Yeah. It's just in bad taste. But, I mean, it's... It, it's an oddity of a film because trying to trying to say that they got away with it, it's like it doesn't really make much difference if they did or didn't get away with it because the film made no money. Oh no! <laughs> oh, this film tanked at the box office. Like clearly, like either either audiences didn't want it or Gus Van Sant was out of touch with what audiences did want. Yeah. So so it goes to show like all the effort of putting all that new stuff in didn't pay off at all, and it got savaged by the critics. <laughs> So, yeah. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. I mean, just like, just these small changes really make the film kind of a slog. You know? It really is. It really, we were we were doing our watch party and we like kept tangenting because everybody was so bored. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the original <laughs> holds your attention because like it's shot in a very particular way. Like you, you, you can watch that original film in a watch party and I guarantee everyone will be paying attention. Oh, yeah. Well, we even discussed doing a commentary on it. Uh, you can check out our commentaries on patreon.com slash Media for films that we actually stay on point for. Um, mm, we were nice discussing... Work. Thank you. We were discussing... One dollar a month. <laughs> uh, 
we were discussing doing the commentary, and then everyone was like, nah, let's just make fun of it. And then by the end, everyone was just like, yeah, we, we, went, a commentary. <laughs> we went all over the place. <laughs> Jokes were made. Um, we didn't really stay on point, and maybe we didn't need to, because at, like at, at one point, I think about halfway through the movie, everyone was just kind of talking to each other, and the movie was playing in the background. Like, it was really not... Yeah. <laughs> Not we about the like, film. We were just kind of like, "Fuck this movie." We're talking about something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as to make a so as to make a token effort trying to talk something about the movie because it is a remake and you know what's going to happen. Everything that felt tense in the original just feels tedious watching it here. Oh yeah. Like yeah. the scene. A- like yeah, the scene like- after Norman Bates murders Anne Heche. Like modern sensibilities would say, you just cut from the bathroom to him dumping the body in the lake. Like, it would play much better. Yeah, or, like, or why not do this? Like, go back to the original source material. Go back to the original book. Like, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. Like, adapting a new, adapting the original material for a new audience. Like, try it a different way. Try it from, you know, uh, make it more accurate to the book or make more changes. Like, or hell, go back to the original material of Ed Gain. Like, you can pull yeah. tons of material from that. Oh, yeah. Like there's there's so many things you can pull from, but instead they just they just did the safe thing of hey we're just gonna copy the original, and you were making the you were making the comments that that maybe they had a DVD player on set and they were just playing the original and saying yeah let's just copy that yeah exactly like there's no way that didn't happen like yeah you don't pre storyboard something that you could just play you know in in between takes there's no yeah. way um, I, I imagine like the cinematographer on this being absolutely bored. Maybe that's why the ISO was fucked up because he was like intentionally trying to sabotage the film. I f- if you you could convince me that there was no cinematographer on this film, and I'd be like, yeah, it was just like a, a PA being told what to do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, keep it in one to eighty five, and uh, you know this is the the depth of field. Use this lens and go. Like, there's because there's nothing inspired except for mm-hmm. when they're trying to copy the genuinely inspired filmmaking from the original. Exactly, yeah. Like, there's nothing new or unique about any of this. No. Yeah, it's all been done before. It's all been seen before. It's it's a very frustrating remake. Like, the original is a classic. Well, and, and we, we've... I forget. I forget. Did Ed Gain also inspire Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, no. He inspired Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Baltimore I, I film. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I don't remember what inspired Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think I think that was the Manson family. There was the during filmmaking, there was an actual family that they were like basing things off of. Not to tangent too hard. Also, I would totally do Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the remake on this show. By the way, mm. <laughs> well, we'll, um, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, I I think that. Oh, no, I had I had a point and I can't remember what. Oh it no, was wait, now. no, hang on. Uh, no, it is it is based on the Life of Ed Gain. Yeah, Leatherface was inspired ah. a little bit by uh, a, uh, a game. Interesting. Nice. Yeah, I did not even realize that. Well, not nice, but well, <laughs> depends I, on your point of view. Oh, well, I, I remember. Like, I, well, I know Ed Gain had a lampshade made of human skin, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the point that I just recalled was we discussed even the idea, if you're doing this remake, that at the halfway point where your main character's going to die, turn it into a revenge flick where she doesn't die and she comes yeah. back for Norman. Like turn it yeah. into I spit on your grave. Yeah, we, we it, made that comment. It's I spit on your grave. It's it's a minus totally... the rape. Minus the rape. Please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she got murdered. That's I feel like enough. Um, but yeah, yeah, the 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 like the the twist now being 
hey, remember when we said frame for frame? We only meant 50%. And mm. like that in and of itself would be enough for me. I'm, I'm sure you'd lose some people with it, but for me, I'm going, oh, fuck, we're going new places. All right, let's see what happens. Yeah, and the marketing for the film could only be material from the first 50% of the film. I think that, that should be... That way a- everyone would be like, oh, this is the shot for shot remake. And then you see the film, and you're like, oh, wait, well, I guess we're doing the Tarantino thing. We're changing things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that should be a rule for trailer making. I think you should only be given 30% of the film to make yeah. trailers from. Um, uh, if this movie were black and white for the first fifty percent, and then after she swims out of the the car, the oh, lake or the pond, good. it it's slow. Like you still think it's black and white, but as you as she walks towards civilization, it's in color. I I would want a harsh edit. The her first breath of fresh air from outside of the car, like as soon as she inhales, it hard cuts to like vibrant color. That would knock my socks off. Yeah. Well, I was I, thinking, I, I was thinking you see her come out of the pond, and the the, the lighting you think gets still black and white, but then you look at the sky, you see a gorgeous sunset. Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah yeah okay yeah. Show show me like the most beautiful thing you can see in color. Mm-hmm. Or no sunrise. Yeah. It would be sunrise. Yeah, right? be sunrise. Was, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that that's hot. I'm into that. Yeah. Not sure how she wouldn't drown by that point, but we'll just let it go. I mean, an air bubble in the trunk is not impossible. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And 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 also, he, it's not like he hung out there forever. So it really only t- only needs to be a couple minutes from the time he walks away till when she pops out. That's true. That's true. Anyways, yeah. Um, I want I wanted to discuss the legacy of the original Psycho because I can't think of anything from that movie that has not been turned into either legitimate filmmaking like we were discussing hereditary or some kind of parody like the music is so iconic that you might know this the shower scene music without ever seeing the film yeah oh that Um, brings up another thing like the shower scene in the remake they don't use the uh the slasher theme until like 10 seconds after he opens the curtain right (laughs) why Poor editing is what I would chalk that up to. Poor editing is what it sounds like. I think that everyone was just kind of sabotaging the movie because they're just like, yeah, fuck this piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. If there is a documentary about this film, I would love it to be that everyone entered this this project unironically and then about halfway through realized what it was and then hard shifted gears and like, nah, fuck this movie. Yeah. And, (laughs) And that's why it is the way that it is. And Gus Van Sant still got all of his money. <laughs> I'm busy, Ben. Uh, he's, he's a good filmmaker. I like a lot of his movies. I like Elephant. It's depressing as fuck, but I like it. Even, even fucking Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo himself, entered this project to remake the most classic themes of all time and just said, fuck it. Yeah, it feels like, this whole movie just feels like fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, you know the the legacy of this is is people when people talk about Psycho, they're not referring to the remake. No, they're always talking about the original. It's like it's very very difficult for a, a remake to get out of the shadow of its predecessor. Yeah, maybe it can sometimes do that. Like Werner Herzog's Nosferatu got out of the shadow a little bit. The Fly, the Thing, mm. like, and we'll get to those eventually. But there. There's very few that ever ascend beyond, and this sure. one clearly did not because it's the same thing. 
Like you have this, you have sixty million dollars, and you have people on this crew that really probably wanted to make something special and unique. Yeah. And then you tell them, oh, we're just gonna do what Hitchcock did. Yeah. Like it's kind of like spitting in Hitchcock's face, and that's kind of the thing that it's kind of disrespectful. Like yeah. you're taking, it's like it's like Zack Snyder taking credit for Watchmen by doing a shot-for-shot adaptation of the comic. And then changing the endings. Like, it's kind of spitting in the original material's face. Like, I really don't approve of it. Like, I understand why you would do that, but there's a reason that shot-for-shot adaptations of comics do not hold up. Because there isn't, there's nothing to go back to. They, they make good storyboards, them. but, you know. Yeah, they're fine as storyboards, but th- there's nothing to go back to. And that's why the TV show of Watchmen is better than the film, because they try something different with it. Yeah. Right. Sl- slight pivot. Can't wait for the split the difference on Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> when when uh, Jesse and I, I found Maggie, out. Written by Maggie James Mayfish. Gunn. I think Maggie Mayfish already covered Dawn of the Dead in her episode about Zack Snyder. I don't think uh. we can do it. <laughs> when, when Jesse and I found out that James Gunn's version of the script was like basically burned, uh, it, we lost a lot yeah, of respect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he he most of that script has actually changed from original, James Gunn's original script. He actually left the project before Snyder even shot a frame of film. He Snyder came in and basically said, "Oh, this is going to be all about conservatism in America." And James Gunn was like, "Fuck you," and quit. Yeah. Surprise. The 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 only the only scene I remember from the, the Dawn of the Dead remake is the, the baby. zombie baby. The baby scene. And the is, and the yeah. and the Muzak version of Down with the Sickness <laughs> during the mall. <laughs> the Richard Cheese Down Richard. with the Sickness. Yeah. I haven't it's thought about good. that guy in a while. I feel like he gets brought up like once a year on our podcasts. <laughs> I'm sure he's a good dude. <laughs> I, I hope so. I really I no one ruined that for me. Just, <laughs> just let his obscurity shield him from any <laughs> anything we need to know. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, man. But the legacy of Psycho, like, there's, there's three sequels to the original film. Yeah. Well, technically two sequels and a prequel. I've only seen Psycho 2, which is actually pretty good. It's actually a solid film. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. It's not amazing. It's pretty good. And that's a film that is shot in color, but it was shot for color. So it's basically Norman Bates has, has been released from the insane asylum. He's he's his delusions have disappeared he's going back to town of i think it's fairview um mm. the town that, that's that they're based in and he's working as a it's like a fry cook in a diner down the road which they set up in the original film they say oh he has a diner a couple miles down the road yeah like it feels like it naturally fits in and everyone doesn't respect him everybody kind of hates him he's alone all the time and norman base doesn't kill anybody until the very end of the movie it's like it's people fucking around with norman base because they know that he's nuts yeah or that he, or they th- they still think he's nuts it's 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 a they, very very good like bookend to the psycho premise and it's worth noting that there is no sequel to the book it's just that one story but they did take it and run with it yeah do you think norman do you think norman bates and jason Voorhees would be friends N- <laughs> I, no <laughs> i i don't know how to answer that question well, you're you know right. What? They, they do have they a lot. They actually would because their their mothers are dead, and they're you know they kind of like kill because of their mothers. Well, you know? I, I guess it depends on which version of Jason Voorhees are we saying. Anything after the first Friday the Thirteenth? Yeah, because the first one is is the mother. It's it's Mrs. Voorhees. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, the second one is when it's Jason. I'm just saying Norman Bates could be a camp counselor and uh, Jason's handler. I would definitely watch the YouTube short 
of like the therapy for psycho killers with like messed up moms that sounds like a good time i feel like there was a a, a, like a parody of that somewhere i i'm sure yeah there's no way i'm the first one that had that idea i'm sure it exists somewhere um yeah Yeah. legacy wise so we brought up hereditary you know switching gears halfway through your movie is a big faux pas that psycho nails just anytime so many taboos broken with the original film yeah the egregious level of sex in the original film, like implications of incest. Uh, this is the first film showing show- a toilet. What was that? Showing a toilet. Yeah, yeah. Showing it, the first film to show a toilet. Yeah, it's like just the idea of like that's a taboo. It's like yeah, it's it's one of those films that was groundbreaking. And you look at the remake, and it's like it doesn't do anything new. No, like even like this, even like the sex and violence. Like there have been films like Natural Born Killers that come out a few years earlier before that. Yeah. So all that stuff was like old hat by the time you got to that. Right. Yeah. That's, oh, that, that's, that's a that's a good comparison. That's a, that's a point I f- forgot to mention. Like, wouldn't it be great if Tarantino's final film were just his cut of Natural Born Killers? <laughs> that, that would be that would be some big dick energy. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, I'm 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 all in for R-rated Star Trek. I think that's the way to go out. Just like. I can do this better than anybody because I understand the source material. Peace out, bitches. Like, I, yeah. I love that. If you want a, a good analysis of the uh, the psycho shower scene, it's just like the taboos of the film. There's a documentary called 7852. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by Alexander Philippe. I believe, I believe it's on Hulu right now. It is 78 camera setups and 52 cuts for the psycho shower scene. So that sequence is so epitomous to that film because it's – it defined the movie. Like yeah. that was the marketing for the film. And yeah. it became so synonymous with like the slasher genre. Yep. Like you can't you can't talk about slasher films and not mention that one scene. Right. Yeah. But it, like the the amount of rules that even just that scene breaks. Like there are harsh edits without the 180 rule like it it'll go from a shot of her to another shot of her where she's in the right of frame. Um that yeah, there's continuity errors all over the place. Right. But like it's 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 continuity errors on purpose and they earn them because it it makes a scene basically a G-rated murder is what it is. Like you could yeah. you can watch you it on the YouTube. You don't actually go in. Right. Yeah. You don't see her nudity, you don't see anything. It's a G-rated murder that breaks all these rules in an effort to throw you off. Like audiences even in the 60s were used to filmmaking and without even knowing that they like a lot of people don't know the 180 rule but they know it when they see it broken and so yeah. doing it that way takes your audience and just starts basically smacking them in the face being like fuck any theories you have about filmmaking this is what i'm doing bitch and just smacking exactly. you around yeah for those that don't know what the 180 degree rule is basically in film there is a it's what's referred to as an invisible line of viewpoint. Basically, it is the line at which the camera will be the observation point for the audience. And you want to make sure that when you're on that line, that eye lines match up. Like, if you have a, a shot reverse shot, you will shoot one person from the left shoulder and then the opposite person from the right shoulder. You don't do left shoulder, left shoulder, because then you're crossing that line. The, right. the 180-degree line that's is the sort of focal point for the scene to happen. If you yeah. break the line, it's odd for the audience. Unless you're trying to make it odd, 
There right. was a shot in the original Shining in the bathroom where Jack, played by Jack Nicholson, is talking to the bathroom attendant, and it shows one shot. It's a two-shot of them from one end of the bathroom, and then the shot cuts, and it literally flips to the opposite end of the background or the bathroom, and you see them in the exact same positions, but they're flipped on the opposite sides. Right. It intentionally cuts over the 180-degree line because things have flipped for Jack at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he kind of has his break. Yeah. So, but that that makes sense to do that. Yeah, like, film rules are made to be broken, but only if you earn breaking them. And yeah. that's and that's Psycho. The whole film is earning all the rules that it breaks. Whereas the yeah. remake feels like it's getting away with breaking rules because the original did it, but the way it's breaking rules isn't intentional, and so it comes off as poor filmmaking. Yeah, like there's nothing added. Yeah, there's nothing fresh. Like if you wanted to really shock me with that shower scene, have it be totally overhead and just be one one shot, and you see her getting stabbed. Mm. It feels like a murder. You're watching a murder. Like, if you wanted to really shock me, see the knife go into her, and you just see, like, a heinous murder happening before your eyes. Right. Don't stylize it. Like, like the Suspiria remake, take out the style. Make it make it more grounded. Make it more like true crime. If you want to be different, there's your way of being different. Remove the style. All the Alfred Hitchcock elements, take them out. Well, I'm pretty sure the original Hitchcock movie didn't show Janet Lee's ass after she got stabbed. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. You don't yeah, just th- see her ass, either. Ooh, you see everything. You see everything. <laughs> yes, you do. It, it, like I said, it just feels like it's in bad taste. Like, we don't need that. But still, it's just it just feels like it's in incredibly bad taste. And the, I'm, I'm glad, I'm pretty sure she was paid, paid well for it. I'm but, sure. But, yeah. Yeah, I just... Uh, the 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 legacy of like every aspect of the movie the score like i said earlier it is so popular it's parodied like like even even in real life people will if they're just holding a knife upside down will be like ah, yeah. ah, ah, ah. like everybody knows that that's a thing um like it, like they they parody it in national lampoon's vacation yeah Exactly. Or in like in Bugs, what was it? Uh, Looney Tunes back Looney in Tunes action. Looney Tunes back in action. Yep. Uh, uh, Mel Brooks is high. Uh, was it high anxiety? Yeah. Like th- there's so many parodies of that one scene. Yeah. It's so synonymous with Psycho, and it's like Simpsons did are, it. They're always referencing the original. They're never referencing the remake. Yeah. The the so, twist yeah. the twist reveal at the end that like I'm sure there were twists before that in films, but that was definitely I I. The, I cannot for the life of me remember what the source was but there's uh some kind of documentary or video where people talk about hitchcock movies and they were like the beginning of the blockbuster when hitchcock put out a movie people went to the theaters in droves because they knew it was going to be new and it was going to be different and it was going to be shocking and it was going to do stuff and even just going to see his movies became this taboo of like, oh, you like, you like offbeat, weird, weird shit. You're, you're a weirdo. Like it, mm-hmm. it became its own cult of thing. And so when Psycho comes out, I can only imagine what that was like. The anticipation sitting in the theater and then the payoff of 
he killed off the main character in the middle of the fucking movie. You're yeah. not allowed to do that. That's but then yeah. the way that it pays off by the end, <coughs> getting to the twist of like his mother's been this background character for the whole movie. You want to meet her. You want to know who she is, what she's like, and then the chair spins and it's a dead body. That mm-hmm. shit is fucking wild. Like I, bananas. I, 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 if I had a time machine, there aren't many places I would want to go back in time because history is kind of fucked. But I would definitely want to stop into like a New York theater on the day that Psycho came out just to mm-hmm. just to feel that energy that that has to be like peak theater experience just knowing yep. what it what is about to unfold and watching an audience see it for the very first time yeah either that or empire return of the not R- return of the empire <laughs> uh, empire strikes back yeah are you referencing the fact well, that all the star Wars, star wars movies are misnamed because that's my new favorite meme <laughs> oh you saw that too <laughs> yeah yeah i saw that I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I just I, th- that it it genuinely gives me like a half chub thinking about what it must have been like to go see the original in theaters with what I imagine is, you know, like the the beginnings of like um f- like fan bases, you know what I mean? Like they didn't have yeah. they didn't have Reddit or anything, but you knew when you were showing up for the Hitchcock movie, everyone else in there's probably seen at least two other Hitchcock movies. Like there's it, it it had to have been like a bonding thing. Imagine walking out of the theater with your girlfriend to go get a malt and like talk about Psycho. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is gonna, it's kind of around the time that auteur theory started to become a big thing. Yeah, like yep. when you went to see a Hitchcock movie, you were going to see a Hitchcock movie. Yeah, when you went to see a Kubrick film, you were going to see a Kubrick film. Yeah, you know, like you you kind of knew what you're getting into, and like Scorsese continued with that. Spielberg kind of started out with that, eventually kind of dropped off. Yeah. Um. But you have this this precedent, like when you're going to see a film that's directed by a particular individual, and I don't subscribe to auteur theory personally because films are a collaborative effort. Like Hitchcock's films wouldn't be what they were if it wasn't for the editors that he had or the cinematographers that he had or the production designers that he had. Like it's, it's, right. it's a collaborative effort. I would yeah. say that the styles are there because of multiple people not just because of one person but just for the sake of brevity we will say you're going to see hitchcock film because hitchcock's name is attached to it yeah yeah it's it's like it's the royal we right like everyone that knows about filmmaking knows it's not just him but it's also the people that attach themselves to him were riding along and adding to his name like it is you know the the efforts of the many recognized by the few but you know, I, if there was a Hitchcock alive, right? And like Ari Aster, if I was asked to be a fucking coffee runner on his movie, I'd do it. No question. Yeah. Just like yeah. anything to attach myself to his name because of what he's doing. Or even um, uh, who directed uh, Lighthouse and the Witch? Um, Rob. Uh, Robert. Uh, Robert. Uh, Eggers. Uh, Eggers. Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. Yeah. Uh, again, like I would, I would literally clean toilets on set just to, just to have my name in the credits with that guy because. Yeah. What what he's doing and the people he decides to work with are amounting to these amazing things. And honestly, mm-hmm. like, you know, we talk about we, we sometimes have to watch shit movies for these podcasts and Psycho Remake's definitely one of them. But I also got to watch a Hitchcock movie alongside of it. So I'm I'm happy. Like the, the total win out for me is is good. I'm not I'm yeah. not mad. Yeah. So that brings us to uh, we're kind of starting to wrap up here like. We obviously all recommend the original. 100%. I think we're mm. in agreement on that. 
Would any of you guys recommend the remake? <sighs> Nick, I'll let you take it first. <laughs> I would say if you're curious about the remake in any capacity, then hunt down Steven Soderbergh's fan edit Ooh. of both movies where he overlays them over each other oh, and yeah. see yeah. how that feels for you. That's an interesting one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't quite match up because there's added edits in the film. Yeah, it's got a blackout for a minute. It's got a blackout for a minute because there's uh, some added footage into the uh, into the remake. Right. But yeah, yeah. What about you, Seth? I think un- unless you're a real film masochist, you're not. Uh, I did have a good time, but only because I was just hanging out with the Discord while we were watching it. Yeah. Like, my, my yeah. good time... If you watching it on your own, it would be miserable. Oh, yeah. You would not have a good time. And, and even if you if you were hanging out with people, this movie just... Bec- the remake becomes wall dressing. It's all, it's all it was. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's really... Beyond, like, uh, you know, Tom Hanks' wife popping on screen or Julianne Moore or fucking Viggo Mortensen's dick root at the beginning like there's not a lot <laughs> happening that you're that you're really engaging with so i i'm going to say a soft no mm. i would not i like you're you're not going to be edified or grow as a filmmaker watching it unless you're watching yeah. it to to break down like why the changes they made aren't helpful yeah but yeah otherwise i i can't i can't recommend it I'm, you're not going to have a good time yeah, I, I I would only recommend it as an oddity. Yeah, because a shot for shot remake of one of you know Hitchcock's best films, which is odd because he didn't consider it his best work. Sure, he he, he thought it was it was fine, it was acceptable, but he he felt he he had made better films. Like, and it's weird because he had prior to that he had remade one of his own films. The Thirty Nine Steps was the original version of The Man Who Knew Too Much. Right. He remade one of his own films, but when he remade it, he did it with a different style. It wasn't the exact same movie. Like, he had grown as a filmmaker, and he felt, I can do this better now. I love that, so, too. I love that Yeah, it's, more than the idea of a shot-for-shot remake. <laughs> yeah, and even then, I, I still recommend both versions. Yeah. I still re- I still recommend both. Uh, it, I think that the 39 Steps is actually the origin of the MacGuffin. The idea of, mm-hmm. like, the thing that the whole cast needs to get, but they don't know what it is. Like, I think that's the origin of it. it it's it's some kind of formula to create a bomb or something like that. It, it doesn't matter. It's not the point yeah, of the Yeah, uh, Maltese it, Falcon kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, it's the thing everybody wants, but it doesn't really make a difference. It's the suitcase from Pulp Fiction. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. Isn't Maltese Falcon also Hitchcock? I feel like that's his thing. Mm, no, no, that mm. is, um, oh, I think it's Howard Hawks. I haven't watched that in in so long. I I haven't either. I just I know that's my point of reference for pointing out what a MacGuffin is. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, John Huston. John Huston. That's it. That's it. That's it. Interesting. I don't know why I confuse those two. Um, but I would recommend the remake only as an oddity if you want to see like if you watch it in an ironic fashion and insert this logic in your brain that Gus Van Sant was fucking with the studio. <laughs> If you right. insert that into your brain before you watch it, you can have a good time just just like seeing how he's just behind the camera just jerking off right. you know, on his giant piles of cash. <laughs> like that that's what it is. Like that sequence in Jay and, Bi- Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That that's what yep. I think happened. Like he's just counting his money cuz he got away with it. Yeah. I really feel like that's what happened. 
Honestly, I'd be more interested in a like 2020 iPhone version from Steven Soderbergh remaking this you movie. You mean Unsane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, he's done he's done like three or four <laughs> yeah. iPhone movies now, and I, like yeah. to me that and that process, him redoing Psycho would be infinitely more interesting than mm-hmm. the '98 remake. Yeah. When you said when you said 2020 and iPhone, I immediately thought I do not want to see the Quibi version of Psycho. Oh God, oh, God. no, please. <laughs> Jesus God, no, no. <laughs> Insert Michael Scott no meme here. <laughs> no God! You're, oh, that's a really good impression, Jesse. That's really good. No God, please no, 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 no! That your your Michael Scott yelling impression is top tier. That's really good. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have some kind of talent. <laughs> yeah, I think we all land on. If you've never seen the original Psycho and you love horror. I def yeah. I definitely think you need to enter the original if you've never seen it with the mindset of this the this is tropes being invented not tropes being copied. Yeah. Uh, so like Night of the Living Dead, same with that, where we talk about how like you can't watch that with like a current zombie mindset. You have to watch it knowing that they're inventing stuff right now and yeah. and seeing how nuanced and unique because like this movie has a lot of nuance too. Like that's. It's not. Oh, yeah. It's not a dumb B movie slasher. It invented a genre of B movies because they're aspiring to be this like really you know perfect child. So mm-hmm. watch Psycho with that mindset, knowing that it's inventing things, and then probably skip the remake unless you really unless you're really curious. I feel like us yeah. just doing podcasts about it is enough to inspire curiosity. So if you ever watch any bad movie that we talk about and don't have a good time, it's not our fault. It's your <laughs> curiosity. Blame it on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Educate yourself. Right. right. Exactly. Well, I think that brings it to a close, gentlemen. Uh, I think we're settled on definitely watch the remake and only the strong will survive if you have to watch the remake (laughs) (laughs) definitely watch the original only the strong can watch the remake yep i agree Uh, here's a fun drinking game uh take a shot every time you see something from the original you'll be dead by the end (laughs) (laughs) at that that point you might as well chug the bottle from the start (laughs) yep you'll be dead in five minutes right (laughs) yeah yeah dead by daylight yep yeah so uh uh, what were you about to say, Seth? No, I was uh, about to issue us into the uh, the closing credits. Yes, uh, I think that the next film that we'll be covering will be, uh, speaking of Steven Soderbergh, I think we'll be covering Solaris. Oh, shit! Mm. I saw the remake, and I was like, it's pretty good. I don't love it. I think it's pretty good, but I have I have not seen the original, actually. I saw half of the remake on a train, and I've never seen the original, so this is going to be mm. a good time. And it's worth and it's worth knowing that the original writer of the original novel, um, Stanislav Law, doesn't like either version. <laughs> <laughs> he hates both versions, so it's like okay, we get to observe it completely from a filmmaking perspective, and we don't need to worry about what the uh, the author thought. Oh, that's something we we didn't get into. Is the the book that Psycho is based on any good? Have you has anyone read it? I have never read it. It's written by Robert Block, though, who was a good writer. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, I still I, need that's to, our homework. I still then. need to see. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, read read Psycho, and for me, watch both versions of Solaris. Yes. Okay, all right. Well, I guess we don't need to do that next episode then. Thank you, thank you, Nick. 
Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into it. That'll be our next episode. Um, not sure when we'll record that because we're you know we're kind of off season, but we'll get to it eventually. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The, the show happens yeah. when it happens, and it's always a good time. Yeah, exactly. All right. Any uh, anything you want to plug, Seth? Uh, anything you want to inform the people about? Yeah, I I plugged the Patreon earlier. Um, we're definitely Patreon's experiencing some I think server issues that they're not willing to speak about. Um, yeah, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes with Patreon right now. It's kind of annoying, but we're we're gonna figure it out. It's making eventually. us discuss the the Montressor OnlyFans, and that's you know good enough. Um, yeah, no one would buy that. <laughs> like no one would buy that. Um, yeah. yeah. So whenever Patreon's running again, uh, I plugged it earlier. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Montressor Media. Like Nick said, for a dollar. You can get access to our unreleased episodes, our early access episodes, our extended cuts of episodes. Some of these podcasts run for three hours and 45 minutes, and I leave all of that in on Patreon mm-hmm. because it's a lot of fun to listen to if you're into how the sausage is made. Um, but not the lost episodes. Those are gone forever. <laughs> no more Death Wish or whatever. Uh, that was more technical issues. Than yeah, else. yeah. Oh, Any, okay. Anything with technical issues turns into, like, I try to turn it into something. If you want to see a great example of that, um, the Thor Dark World episode just abruptly ends because yeah. of recording issues. But we did get through the pitch, so I wanted to get it out there. Um Hey, th- yeah. that's the nature of the beast sometimes. We we run <laughs> five podcasts at this point, uh, in addition to the show yeah. you're listening to, Split the Difference. We have That Weird-Ass Game, where Jesse and I, and sometimes a guest, and sometimes not me, actually, <laughs> just thinking about the recent episode, yeah. um, discuss weird fucking games, whether it's the context of when it came out, the context of the gameplay itself, or the context of... Things happening in the background. Um, mm. You can check that one out. That's always that's a very on-topic show. Actually, we don't usually go into the weeds yeah. a lot on that one. Um, we also have Film Rescue Show, which is kind of our flagship. It is the uh, the the shot heard around the world that launched all these other things. Um, if you have ever seen a film and wanted to see it redone. In hypothetical form, that's Film Rescue. Uh, the spinoff from that is also Palette Cleanser, which is where we talk about good movies and just kind of like generally wank our you know film knowledge about things. Um, <laughs> that that one's for all the hipsters out there. It's a good time. Uh, and then we also have the Gavel, which is a uh, wh- what was I told to say? I, it, I'm not allowed to say Dungeons and Dragons. It's a D20 which is a kind of dice uh, role-playing game that's basically Law and Order meets Bright. And I'm not on that one at all because I don't understand RPGs, but they're having a good time over there, and I'm happy for them about it. Also, I don't have to edit it, so that makes it perfect. Um, yeah, so that's that's all the Montressor stuff to plug. Okay. Uh, Nick, did you have anything you wanted to plug? Uh. <clears throat> Uh, by the time, either by the time this comes out, either I'll have an episode for the film rescue show coming out where you thought it was safe to go back into the Star Wars waters after discussing Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm bringing you back into the trenches with all three of the prequel trilogy. Because <laughs> e- e- I'm a monster. Ellipses. It won't. Fucking it won't be five hours of prequels. Asshole. <laughs> 
um yeah that i can't i can't bring myself to watch tiger the clones again dude i can't do it <sighs> Man, yeah, okay. yeah i don't blame I'm, you. I'm not gonna lie i may take the time to recut attack of the clones into just the obi-wan kenobi detective story and then it'll be very watchable it'll it'll actually be a good time that's the good part yeah <laughs> and even then good parts is in massive air quotes oh sure yes 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 yeah <laughs> You're- also, since it's since it's the end of the podcast, I there was a little bit about author theory uh, a little bit earlier that I wanted to bring up, but it was kind of, might have been too much of a tangent. Oh, sure. No, go ahead. So we got like, five more minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like uh, like you said, like you said, you go back then. You go see a Hitchcock movie because it's Hitchcock and he's weird, and you go see a Spielberg movie because it's Spielberg and he's charming. Uh, it, like I have come around on author theory because it, it film is a collaborative effort but at the same time you don't want to watch a bland movie you want to watch something that's has the creative spark it has something that's being said by the people who make it and i think that's something that's missing very much nowadays because right now it's all about franchising like you don't yeah. think about like this director is direct is making a movie you think about Oh, there's a Marvel movie coming out. Oh, there's a Star Wars movie coming out. And like one of the reasons why as of late I'm gravitating more towards the the recent DC movies, so pre-Justice League, well, not even pre-Justice League because that was Wonder Woman, but the good DC movies, I at least feel like there's it doesn't feel homogenized. It feels like there is more flair and more substance as much substance as you can get out of like what it's ultimately a blockbuster but it's there's some there there that you don't really see in a lot of are you talking about like more... Zack Snyder's movies is that what you're talking about no 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 <laughs> like, I'm talking about, talking like, about like o- I'm talking Aquaman, about Wonder Woman Wo- Wonder Woman Shazam oh, oh yeah, yeah 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 Aquaman yeah yeah I, I, I can see that a little bit they do kind of let them play around a little bit more because they're gonna make money regardless um and sometimes I, I, you do get that from the Marvel movies, like James Gunn's Guardians movies, or the or uh, the Ant Man movies, maybe, maybe a little bit. Not Rod, not Roger Corman. That's not the name I'm looking for. Richard Donner uh, who directed Black Panther. Richard Donner, yeah. No, Black Panther's director. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. Oh, yeah. Um, I know who you're talking about. The name's not on my on tip of my tongue. What the hell is it? I'll get there in a minute. Yeah, it's. But yeah, we know who that is. Yes, <laughs> the guy who directed Creed. Yeah. Yes, that, that's this what is when like I like it when I like it when movies have ha, I like it when have a movies voice. have a voice to them. Yeah, yeah, have a voice where the director gets to leave their imprint right. on it, and when they don't, when it feels more like a a journeyman in for a dollar, out for a dollar <laughs> sort of workday, it kind of sucks. And, and sometimes I mean, sometimes those are good. Like you you watch Greyhound, and that's not a like you know big director's specific vision but it's still a really fucking good movie so a, a good hard day at work can lead to a good film but i agree that you know if you're if you're doing these very colorful big things leaving it to one person and letting them do the experimental stuff does tend to work better and ryan coogler yeah. is the name of the director of black That's panther ryan coogler it's like RC. That's why I went with Roger Corman. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that to a degree because, like Hitchcock, didn't see himself as an auteur. 
he was he was very workmanlike. Yeah, he would show up to set in a suit and tie. Sam Raimi does the same thing. He copies Hitchcock's working ethic a lot. And uh, I think it was on Rear Window when um, I can't remember what the lead actress's name was in that film. It, it, it escapes me at the moment. Uh, she was talking about working with Jimmy Stewart in mul- multiple scenes, and she was like, "What's my motivation in this scene?" He responded with, uh, "Your paycheck." Yeah, and that was it. Like that was his direction. Like it, it, films to him, they were a job. That like he enjoyed doing them. It was work. It's what he knew how to do. Yeah, he didn't see himself as like a quote unquote artist. Like he made films because he was like, "This is how I entertain an audience." Like he's an entertainer. That he was an entertainer first, and he was art- an artist second. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. David Lynch is the opposite. He's an artist first, and he's an entertainer second. Like it's, it depends on who it is at the helm. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, it, but it's all semantics. It's like it's 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 what you think it is. The, I think the takeaway is there's no wrong version of creativity if it's if it's yeah. creativity because of your like logical left brain process or very you know right brain David Lynch. I want to be creative to be creative. There's no wrong version mm-hmm. of it if if it is not coming from a selfish or ugly place it is really coming from a let's get this done exactly yeah. and it's one of the yeah. reasons it's it's one of the reasons why the spider the sam raimi spider-man movies are some of my yeah. favorites because they are very much crowd-pleasing movies but they're, they're trying something they're trying to get to something yeah yeah like mainly one and two but to some extent three they are also a personal statement made by the creative yeah. team on it and yeah. and i think anyway that was me rambling for five minutes <laughs> yeah, i think my addendum is i'd rather watch a, a fucked up director's vision than a bland panel version of a movie you know your yeah. your robocops your fucking whatever you want to go into we've seen so many of them that we know how to point them out and i'd i'd so much rather see a bad version of a director's vision than a than the most the profitable version of a you know death by panel film i just i i don't know <laughs> josh josh trank made a fantastic four movie that's great that we'll never see <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's how we'll end the episode <laughs> split the difference for fantastic four. <laughs> oh jesus christ no. i have called for that in the group chat just let me point that out i i would love to talk about it at length Nick, maybe you and I should just do a, a tangent podcast. We'll do it on Fan Forestick and the Roger Corman. Just, just a Corman single, movie. a single one-off episode. If if it never makes it to split the difference, you and I can do that and have a just a great right. time. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah, I agree, Jesse. This is the place to end the show. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, as we as we said earlier, watch the re- watch the original and. Only watch the remake if you're a masochist. <laughs> so, and maybe subscribe to Autor Theory if you are really into that kind of thing. So, yeah. And with that, good night. Good night.